All of those things look great on paper, but they're still just adaptations to survival. Basically, all you're proving is your body will adapt to not starve to death. That doesn't mean it's optimal. It's still suboptimal for brain performance. It's still suboptimal for athletic performance. It's still suboptimal metabolically. It's suboptimal anabolically. There's nothing better about it, even though you're going to get people saying, oh, wait, 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 look, there's this one study that shows you can, quote, adapt. What is up, Fit Farm fam? Welcome to the Fit Pharmacist Healthcare Podcast. My name is Dr. Adam Martin. I am a practicing pharmacist, nutrition consultant, author, and lover of living life to the fullest. Each episode on the podcast, I will dispense to you an innovator and expert in the world of healthcare so they can share their story, their struggles, and best practice tips to empower you to nail your nutrition, master your mindset, fit in fitness, and take your level of impact to the next level with simple solutions for how to live with passion and purpose. Thank you for spending your time with me today. Now let's discuss how to dispense your full potential. One of the most profound things that I've learned and heard in the past year has actually been from a colleague and mentor of mine, Dr. Corey Probst. We eat how we live. Just think about that. We eat how we live. If you really think about that, it can really make a profound impact in how you conduct your life, not just with eating, but in all aspects. That's why I'm really excited to bring back to the Fit Pharmacist Healthcare Podcast my other mentor and friend, Dr. Joe Klemzeski, founder of The Diet Doc. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Adam. Always happy to be here. So looking at that concept, we eat how we live, it just really struck me. And I remember on that podcast when Corey shared that, it really resonated with you as well because how we eat, our tendencies, our eating strategy or diet, if you will, can really dictate how the other areas of our life go and how those have been going. So- I just wanted to hear your feedback on that statement and what you think about that. Well, it's one of those things that when you hear it, you think, gosh, that makes so much sense. How is that already not some kind of a proverb in some culture? But we all look at nutrition very technically when it gets down to us making some kind of life change. We start thinking, oh, okay, what kind of diet do I want to be on? Is this right or is that right? Or what's the latest research say? And when Corey said that, it had some impact on me as well because I thought, wow, how simple is that? That if you just look at your attitude and your behaviors in life, that's probably going to carry over exactly how you eat. And if I ever have any problems with my own eating, if I'm ever doing something that's not aligned with my goals, it's exactly as Corey said. It's because I'm eating very impulsively, very frantically, very much in that anxiety of the normal flow of life, which is my life. And so, yeah, I don't have to look any further than that. If I need to make a change, that's where it's going to be. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And that's what leads right into this topic of diet strategies that have really become popular in the past 20 years, current day and projections in the future. Because while a lot of people find maybe disordered eating, not necessarily eating disorder, but not having their eating strategies aligned with their goals, they look for the next big thing, the fix or the easy way to get their goals eat according to that and align everything so they can get to that end point. So that's the first thing I wanted to look at is 
strategies that have been popular over the years. So I just wanted to see if you could walk us through popular diets in the last 10 or 20 years, just looking at a broad scope, why they became popular, how they got into the scene as being this sort of craze, and why we're not doing them anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would, I would even go back to what I think is probably the etiology of modern dieting. And, and probably prior to the, the 1940s, 50s, I don't think a lot of our culture was paying attention because we didn't have that problem. I mean, we're just coming out of the Great Depression, World War I, World War II. So it wasn't until about the 50s that there was a physician who started looking at, well, hey, you know, I, I notice if I cut out carbs, I get a very rapid weight loss. So there was a physician who started the, the preamble to what ketogenic dieting would be. And that physician found a pretty big fan in another physician who was Dr. Atkinson and, uh, or Atkins, uh, getting confused David with, with Adam, <laughs> right. Adam Atkinson, my, 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 my friend in Ohio. But, um, it, so it really kind of started there, but then everybody started looking at heart disease and say, wait a second, wait a second. You know, we were worried about cholesterol and things like that. So then that big wave occurred. Then Atkins had a resurgence and that bled off into South Beach diet and paleo. And, and now you've got people like Dr. Kevin Hall at the NIH who are saying, wait, 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 time out. Let's look at the actual research. And now we're back, at least in the scientific community, saying, of course, ketogenic diet is horrible and that's not the way to go. There are some principles we can take from that. But as an entire way of eating, nothing could be worse for your health or your actual goals of weight loss and weight maintenance. So it really has just been a pendulum. I mean, it's just been back and forth between those two extremes. But now, out of necessity for a market niche, people have gone to some other structural things. It's, it's, you know, we, we can only go one of two ways with the carb, no carb pendulum. So now people have got into some of the structural things, which is why we've got intermittent fasting and time-restricted eating. So you know, we'll always find a way to, to make a buck doing something weird and bizarre just to carve out a niche. So I, I can't predict exactly where things will go next. But that's really where we find ourselves today is, is there's still this big struggle between low carb and low fat. And now people are starting to you know, work in different forms of fasting and time-restricted eating. Absolutely. Thank you for walking us through that. So if we look at the different ways of manipulating the macros, the carb, protein, and fat, um, if we look at you know, what works, it's simple, right? Eat well, quote, and exercise. But because it's so simple, people think that it can't be that easy. There's got to be some sort of extreme approach to get these, quote, extreme results that I want. So is that kind of why these diets catch on? Because it's, you know, no carb or all carb and no fat and all protein, things like that. Um, Just looking at a broader scope, why these types of diets catch on? Is it more of a marketability standpoint or is there anything that, youth have seen that makes that sticky for that short period of time? I I think one of the greatest problems we're having is simply with the culture being busier and being more reliant on fast food. So when I was working on my dissertation for my second doctorate, it was in health education, and I chose to write a book and do a literature review on uh, childhood obesity. 
And around that same time, Congress was commissioned to do their own study. And they, they took all of their resources, looked at every single government agency. I think there were something like 13 panels or 13 uh, governmental agencies that, that came together, created this document. And they walked through every single thing that's hitting us all the way from 80% of Saturday morning cartoons aimed at kids were, you know, high sugar cereals and snacks to there's a McDonald's on every corner. But one of the greatest changes they found was simply we went from, you know, maybe eating out once a month as a family in our society because of a special occasion, a birthday, Mother's Day, to all of a sudden everybody's averaging about three times a week. And you and I know a lot of people who are eating out once or twice a day every day. That's just where we get our food. And the hardest thing to do is you, you think you're eating somewhat healthy, you know, some salads, foregoing the French fries or this or that, being careful, conscientious about how you order. But the density in those foods you eat when you're eating out, if you're not just ultra careful, you can eat twice the calories you think you're eating. So a lot of people are just blindsided by the fact they, they have no idea what they're actually consuming. So when you start tracking macronutrients, when you're looking at protein, carbs, and fats, you're looking not only at restaurant menus, but picking out individual ingredients and you're weighing and tracking things, even though you may not have to do that forever, at least going through that exercise opens your eyes to the fact that you really have to pay attention to every single meal. That's such a great point, Joe. And one of the things that I tell my clients when they're eating out is be really specific. So a lot of people, they're just trying to make a good decision. So they want like a side of broccoli instead of French fries. Well, what they don't know is almost every single restaurant douses that in butter and oil. So you think you're getting low fat, but really you might as well get a hamburger that's 80-20 uh, fat ratio. So that, that kind of blows people's minds because when they order it that way out, it tastes a lot different, less flavorful, hmm. um, but it's a lot different because there is that awareness. So I think that's huge. Now, looking at what you said about trends with being busy and eating out and eating on the go and things like that, um, that creates a market and correct me if I'm wrong, but that kind of creates a market for businesses to attract business and get people in the door. Then you have people wanting value. So you get those larger portion sizes, value meals and things like that. But we started to see that that led to overconsumption. So then there was some sort of legislation or rule that they, a lot of restaurants, I believe it's if you have 15 or more locations and like a chain, you have to provide the calorie nutrient for each menu item. But what really blew my mind is even despite those, let's say a meal is 800 calories, there's been independent groups that go out and test these foods that find the actual calorie content that's stated is two, sometimes three times more than what's on the menu. So you might be intending to order something that's 800 calories, but it's 2,000. Absolutely. There's no question. I've, I've done some consulting for restaurants, and these guys know their products. I mean, they get down. When they're looking at price points, they will say, okay, this particular dish has one ounce of this, half an ounce of this, and they're, they're, they're doing their food costs, due diligence. But then when you're the cook in the kitchen – and you're, you're having to, you know, fry this thing or bake this thing. I mean, you just wouldn't imagine the amount. I've worked in restaurants. You wouldn't imagine the amounts of oils and things like that that end up just in the preparation, not even in the recipe itself. And so, yeah, it really, it's just, it's just stunning. When I travel, 
you know, cause that's what I'm going to eat at the most. If I take most of my food, I, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to come back a little bit lighter or, or in the same position. If I rely on eating out, even trying to make really good decisions, I'm always coming, coming back home, uh, you know, up a couple pounds and, and it's just the, the inaccuracies that you're talking about. Absolutely. And I think with that, people are starting to catch on with that. So they're looking for a solution which leads into these types of fad diets, like you talked about the Atkins diet years ago. Now we have two of the more popular ones, the keto diet and the intermittent fasting, which we touched on in, in another podcast. Um, but I do want to talk about, you know, there's lots of opinions and this is better, that is better. But there was recently, not too long ago, a study that came out uh, talking about the different diets in regards to sustainability and outcomes, I believe. I'm just ranking all of the most popular diets out there. Um, can you t just explain a little bit about that study? Do you know which one I'm referring to? Well, if, if it's the one I think of, U.S. News and World Report always does a ranking like this, almost like Consumer Digest. And they went through the 59 named diets that are on the market that they could find. And then they, they again, almost like a literature review. They looked at all the studies. They, they just lined them up and put it in spreadsheets and ran it through algorithms and, and they found that if, if you're looking for actual weight loss over time, not just how much can you lose this week, mm -hmm. and then sustainability, yes, uh, low-carb ketogenic diets did not even appear. They, they just were not, not even in the ballpark. And so you know that, that kind of aligns with other studies I've seen out of Harvard and a couple other places showing that ketogenic dieting, and that's low-carb dieting, high-fat uh, are, are not only the least sustainable, they are the ones that lead most to eating disorders, specifically binge eating disorder. And anybody who's ever done a diet like that, you, you just know that instinctively because you can do really well for a few days and then you will binge. You, you are starving yourself, literally starving yourself biologically to a point where instinctively you will just binge. That There's no way around it. Wow. So not only does it not effective, but actually causes harm in a lot of ways. Um, so that's one thing that I just wanted to touch on. Not that it's not right for you. There are some instances, but it's something to consider um, for all of the things that become popular or hyped in the media. It's just something to look at that what's popular might not always be the best. Um, so that's kind of what I wanted to touch on overall with the fad diets that we've seen through the years is this move towards extreme elimination or extreme augmentation of a particular, particular macronutrient like carbohydrates. And then over time, once more and more people try this, they start to say, hey, I feel like garbage. My performance in the gym is suffering. I'm leading, this is leading to eating disorders and other things. And then it starts to move in the other direction, which is this kind of pendulum effect um, that we mentioned about just overall the fad diets. Um, so can you just kind of touch on and explain that pendulum effect or I don't know if I worded that correctly, um, but yeah. just the overall schematic that you've seen over the years because you've been, this, been in this industry your entire career. Yeah, I, I don't know if we're actually going to see much of a swing of that pendulum any longer. It's just, it's almost like there's this dichotomy and we think in binary terms anyway as, as primates. And so we just look at, okay, you can either have a low carb or low fat diet, pick one and go. Uh, I, I really don't see low-fat diets making a big comeback because it's just not that novel. We've we've been singing from that songbook for too long. So last year for a publisher, I had to do a little review of the top-selling diet books out there. 
And I, I think 11 of the top 100 selling books on Amazon for the year were, were nutrition and diet books. Every single one of them were ketogenic books. So it's just not sexy or market niche oriented to say eat lower fat. Keto is just too in because you do. You get an extreme result initially because as soon as your body goes through all of your stored glycogen for two or three days, you lose a ton of water. You're going to get on the scale and you're going to be so happy you're down five or six pounds in just a couple of days. You'll feel lighter and tighter. And, and then you will, if, if you were to stay with it, you would absolutely lose the most body fat the fastest, but at the cost of not only mental acuity, other research shows you actually lose brain power. You're not going to be as clear. You're not going to be able to you know, call up your mental faculties as well. You're not going to do as well on exams, recalling information, all that. But you suppress your metabolism. So now you're, you're pushing that spring downward to the point where when you're not dieting, you're going to gain body fat back even faster, and you're also losing lean body mass. So you're literally losing muscle and putting yourself in a position to gain body fat back. That's if you do a ketogenic slash low-carb diet like it should be done, which is actually without eating carbs. But most people can't do that, so they end up doing a modified version where it's almost like binge, purge, binge, purge, because they get in that cycle of, I, I can't do this, they break down, they eat some carbs, and then they get frustrated and they try it again. And if they just used a managed carbohydrate approach, use enough carbohydrates to avoid all of those complications, it's, it's like the tortoise and the hare. You're going to get there, you're gonna be in much better condition physically, you're actually gonna meet your goals, and you're going to find out you did it in a way that's very sustainable. You can continue living your life that way. Absolutely. Wow. So all those amazing things that you mentioned about keto, I can't believe I haven't signed up yet. <laughs> so looking at that, especially with uh, cognitive performance, um, for those of you listening who are in pharmacy school or looking to begin, or even as a pharmacist working long shifts, you need that. You need to be on your game. So if you're feeling foggy and you don't have that energy, um, that can really be detrimental to your career, not to mention your workouts. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind, again, like Dr. Joe said, for the long term, for that consistency. So like Dr. Joe said, a reasonable approach to keep you not only consistent, but enjoying the process uh, would be that flexible dieting strategy that we're going to touch on in just a moment. I don't have time to work out. Eating healthy is not possible as a pharmacist. There's so many things to juggle. I just feel so stressed out. I can barely even keep it together. Guys, if this is you, I totally understand. I have been practicing pharmacist full-time for over seven years. I've been through the hurdles, living through the trenches, and through my time with that, have developed simple solutions to help empower you to not only fit in fitness, but nail your nutrition and master your mindset, empowering you to lead by example through living a healthy lifestyle. I put all these solutions in an easy-to-read, applicable, and simple guide for you to read in my new book, RxU, The Pharmacist's Guide for Managing Stress and Fitting in Fitness. If you haven't gotten your copy, check the show notes for a link so that you can get yours today and get started to dispense your full potential. Before we go on, I just wanted to hear, because keto has been gaining momentum and just popularity, um, do you see or predict anything changing from that in the near future, 
as far as the popularity of keto, how long that will stick around, and if there is a shift, where that will go to. Well, it just popped into my head, Adam, that maybe we should be the ones that create the shift because I don't think it's going to go away. But in terms of how to market it and how to capture some market share, you have to repackage it differently, just like South Beach did. So you had Atkins, and in, in their tagline was basically you could eat all the, all the bacon, beef, butter, burgers, all that stuff you want and still lose weight. So a lot of guys are thinking, that's amazing. That's, that's my diet. Then you got South Beach who said, wait a second, let's, let's throw all that saturated fat to the side for a minute and let's get in some good essential fatty acids and put a health spin on this. So South Beach was created by a cardiovascular surgeon. Then Paleo came out, which is not a ketogenic diet by any stretch because you're still eating some fruit, more vegetables, even some, some root type starches. So, so to me, if you can have a managed carb diet, that's at least the way to go. But, but I really do see somebody in the future saying, you know, we're going to at least call this low carb, but we're going to sneak in enough starch or something so people can actually do this, uh, which, which is really, I'm just describing, you know, somewhat of a flexible dieting approach. But I, I have no doubt somebody's going to do that and, and make billions because people are just gullible and, and will go for those quick marketing taglines. But you know what, what I really think you have to consider is even if something is functionally doable, like you know, people who do ketogenic, I, I can hear the naysayers out there saying, wait, 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 there are experts out there who disagree with you, Joe. There are people out there who say, you know, if you actually do ketogenic, zero carbs long enough, you get two or three months down the road, you get keto adaptive, so you do feel better. And uh, even for athletic performance, if you are keto adaptive, meaning you can't cheat, you're not going to have that Oreo cookie, you're not going to get that handful of Doritos, it's zero carbs for months, then your body can even adapt to the point where you get a 40% increase in ability to use fat for energy. All of those things look great on paper, but they're still just adaptations to survival. Basically, all you're proving is your body will adapt to not starve to death. That doesn't mean it's optimal. It's still suboptimal for brain performance. It's still suboptimal for athletic performance. It's still suboptimal metabolically. It's suboptimal anabolically. There's nothing better about it, even though you're going to get people saying, oh, wait, 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 look, there's this one study that shows you can, quote, adapt. Excellent points. Excellent points. So, guys, those are things to consider and something that really should be looked at before you jump onto this wagon is, yes, this one category might be beneficial short term for quick things, but you really have to look at the whole picture. So it's not just fat loss, but with that, don't forget, there's other aspects to life. There's how you interact with other people. There's how you think. There's your quality of life. There's so many things to look at. So if you're looking tunnel vision at just one aspect, you can really sell yourself short and, forgive the pun, bite off more than you could chew. So always look at the whole picture, not such a narrow black and white aspect with this to look at what is optimal for you. And uh, Dr. Joe, you touched on this as having a solution to this. Uh, potentially the next phase of the fad diet would be a modified keto or really what most people call keto right now. So they think they're doing keto, but they do have a lower carb intake. However, a lot of that goes to that binging and purging that you described. So with that, if you just have a moderate carb, eye on the ball, 
allowing those minor indulgences here and there, um, what you're describing for optimal long-term sustainability is that of flexible dieting, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, tell me exactly how you come up with a, a diet. When you sit down with somebody, how do you do that? And I, I just was interviewed for a podcast uh, from a gentleman in Italy this morning, and, and I went through that entire protocol, which is not a secret. It's what we teach in the National Academy of Metabolic Science and in our company, The Diet Doc. And it's simply to, first of all, look at calorie balance. So there are all kinds of algorithms and calculators out there. You can you know, get a BMR from an in-body scan or all these things as starting points. And, and first of all, you have to realize that that's on a continuum. So you line up 100 people that all have the same demographic profile, you know, 5'8 males, 175 pounds, 49 years old, describing myself. And, and you line all of those people up. And you're going to have a range. Somebody may have a metabolism of 1,500 calories. Somebody may have a metabolism of 3,000 just because of our genetic differences. So you're still stuck having to experiment and apply this to yourself. But once you have that calorie range, now you have to decide how much protein, carbs, and fats. And, and again, there's a lot of research out there that shows the amount of protein that your body can use, You know, typically a multiplier of the RDA. So, you know, two times the RDA, 2.5, three times the RDA, depending how hard you're dieting, how hard you work out, then a, typically a percentage of fat. So I would be looking at, you know, 15, 20% of calories from fat for somebody who's trying to lose weight up to 25 or 30% for maintenance. If you did the math on a sample client, you know, you would see that that's plenty of fat for flexibility but it then allows you for enough carbs to survive, to have normal meals, to avoid all of those things I described in a ketogenic diet. So th- this is where having a nutrition consultant or coach comes in who can walk you through that, help you manage that process, and, and fine-tune it along the way as your body's changing, as you're gaining more experience. But you know, I, I, I would say it, it's, it's also a very do-it-yourself friendly scenario if you're willing to put the time in and, and get the information and just apply it. Absolutely. And guys, if this terminology of macros and, and the formulas and percentage, can, if it feels overwhelming for you at all, uh, there's good news. There's actually a free resource. All of the research that Joe had mentioned about what's optimal, again, there's variances for each individual, but all that research is put into a very easy to use free calculator called the MacroDoc. Um, which gives you these ranges, but not just the numbers, but gives you some explanation and guidance with that. Now, like Dr. Joe said, this is a starting point. It's experimentation for each individual, but having that coach alongside is really important to help walk you through that, uh, which I am and also Dr. Joe is, uh, which is why I'm so honored to have him on the podcast because guys, he's worked with probably over 100,000 clients in your career. Um, I, I don't know. I, I've, that's a big number. I don't know if it'd be there, but uh, it's uh, we're, we're, six figures. We're going on uh, thirty years, so we've 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 met with a lot of people. Absolutely. So all of that experience, all of the research is in this calculator. Was free. Um, there is a link in the show notes for the macro doc, so that you guys can have access to use this, apply the principles we discussed to find what fits your lifestyle, rather than flipping your lifestyle to fit a diet, because no one wants that. So that's what we're all about here with the Diet Doc is structured flexibility, allowing you guys to have that consistent enjoyment of not just the results, but loving your life. So Dr. Joe, I appreciate you being on the podcast, 
sharing all of the insight from the history of diets, where we are now and where we're looking to go. So hopefully you guys got some great value from this. Dr. Joe, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Always a pleasure, Adam. Thank you very much. All right, guys, this is Dr. Adam Martin with the Fit Pharmacist Healthcare Podcast, signing off with the Dr. Joe Klimzeski. Go forth, be great, and dispense your full potential. All right, Fit Farm fam, until next time, I am out of here. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the show. If you are new to the podcast, thank you so much for tuning in. Your time is invaluable, and I sincerely appreciate you sharing it here. Most importantly, hit that subscribe button so you get a fresh new podcast episode every single week. Also, please leave a rating and review for the show. I sincerely hope that you got at least one golden nugget of knowledge from this episode. If you did, please share this with one person who you can help dispense their full potential. That is how this community will grow organically. I don't ask for anything in return, so thank you for your action of support. 